Welcome back to the Connecting Minds podcast. Christian Jordanov here. Today's guest is Sean Carlton. He's an entrepreneur, fitness trainer, and podcaster, and he helps people over 40 to get in shape. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me back on. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, the conversation we had on my uh, own podcast was phenomenal, so I'm glad to talk to you again. Yeah, your show is Fitness Reborn. So, right, yep. Fitness so Reborn. Folks, you can type in Fitness Reborn uh, podcast. It will come up, and I'll have the links to, to Sean's show uh, down below. But Sean, tell just for the listeners and for myself, because I don't know you that well, tell us more about yourself, who you are, how did you get into what you do? Well, I've always been pretty active as a kid, you know, throughout my life. I wasn't like a huge sports enthusiast per se. I did do sports. I mean, I did all the things that all all boys virtually in America really do at some point. They play football. They play basketball. They play baseball. You know, they join various teams. And I had done all of that. But I wasn't really a big, you know, Again, I wasn't a big sports enthusiast, and I didn't really go into teams very much. I was too much of an introvert and too much of an an individualist to really like get into it as a lot of these guys around me were. Um, but I still liked the whole thing about being active and being competitive, and um, so I'd always been like that. Now, in terms of like my adult years, in terms of getting into the actual fitness and fitness spaces. So my beginnings with that as an adult, I think it was around 21, 22 years old. I'm 40 now. It was, it was right on the heels of a breakup. So and it which just kind of clobbered me completely, like came out of nowhere. It was like all of a sudden, you know, we, I thought we were doing fine. All of a sudden, no, we're not doing so fine. And, and there went that relationship. And so as a way of kind of, you know, dealing with my mental thoughts and trying to gather my thoughts and my, my well-being, I got in back into being really being active again. You know, I started out really small. I went to a park and I started walking, like really just walking. We have a nice little park here in town where I live. Uh, it has a man-made lake. And I just walked around it several times. I don't know how many times. I was out there for a while. I didn't plan on it. I just decided I, I, I got to get out of here. I can't be in this house. I got to go somewhere. And I did something. And I did. I didn't dress for it at all. I didn't put on you know sneakers or compression shorts or you know workout clothes of any kind. I went there in my street clothes, normal clothes. Yeah. I went there and I just started pacing around this park, just you know trying to, I guess, physically release my... Uh, pent up mental energy. And it was great. I felt, I don't remember exactly how I felt, but I probably did feel better at the end. And I just kind of went from there. I did more and more walks. The walks got longer. They got more fast paced. Walks became biking. I used to ride my bike a lot as a kid. And now I gone back into liking riding my bike again. So I got big into that one summer, really big into it. I was out there six days a week for two hours at a time, just biking around. Nice. I dropped a ton of weight, a ton of weight. Because not only was I biking a lot, I was managing my portions a lot. I don't know what, uh, I can't really remember what got me on that. But 
I was there and I was doing that a lot. So I was managing my portions like militantly and I was biking a lot. So my caloric deficit was like huge. Mm. So I slimmed down tremendously. And from there, I was like, oh, biking got old. So I got into weight training. So I joined gyms. I started lifting weights. And that was kind of a new thing to me. I was never much of a gym person. I never did weight training really at all when I was a kid or in high school or anything like that. So that was a new area to me. So I jumped into that. Fittingly, like most people do, they just jump, they walk into a gym, they start, they find a weight of any kind, they start lifting it how they think they should. They don't really start know doing what bench press in the, right, in the right. Smith machine. Right. Well, no, not even the Smith machine, just going straight to the benches, like <laughs> lo loading a free bar and just like pumping it into the air. Nice. You know, and again, being a complete noob, not knowing what the hell I was really doing, no specificity at all, no counting of reps or sets or anything like that. I'm just going in there. I'm doing stuff. That's, <laughs> that's it. And we've all seen that person. We've all been that person. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, I was like, well, okay, I'm, I'm liking this. But then at some point I got serious about it and I started learning about it. It's like, okay, uh, here's how your actual form should be. Here's how to prevent possible injury. And here's how to keep a log of your sets and your reps and how many days you should be there and yada, yada, yada. And of course there's nutrition on top of that. And so, yeah, I got big into that too. And so and there was also running and jogging and stuff. And, you know, and it was just kind of carried on, on and on. At some point, the, when I actually began entering the world of actually teaching fitness, I joined a gym along with my ex-wife. I joined a gym, which was like a high-intensity kickboxing and bands class called Pharaoh's Extreme Body Shaping pretty big here in the Midwest. They have several locations and they had kickboxing for cardio and strength training with bands on the strength training days. So I got really into that. So I got really into the kickboxing stuff. Nice. And so combat sports was now on my radar. So I started researching, learning about boxers, you know, and learning about MMA fighters and stuff like that and different, you know, just kind of like very superficial knowledge of combat sports. And I got really into that. And I, at some point became an instructor. So I got oh, wow. even more, I got even more into it because now I had to teach this uh, to other people. So I began inventing scenarios and teaching stuff that was kind of way off the charts of what they were normally teaching in terms of kickboxing. And they were kind of just teaching you like, very basic jab, cross, kick, that kind of stuff here. Well, now I start incorporating feints and dodges and weaves and stuff like that as in like an actual, and parries, actually like an actual fight. Like I wanted them to think like this bag that they're hitting is actually going to strike them back if they don't, if they don't take proper evasive maneuvers in between strikes and stuff like nice. that. And the, and the, and the, the classes loved it. The people in the class loved it um, because I loved it. And I was having fun. And so my energy was radiating out and I got a lot of positive feedback for it. And, and so I, um, I got, I got the idea. It's like, Hey, I like this and people respond to it. I seem to be pretty good at it. 
So I got certification to become a fitness trainer. How long ago was that? Um, that was 2015, 2016, something like right, that. Right, right. So I was doing that for a while. And from there, I just got a, a certification as a personal trainer. You know, I just uh, through the, uh, the American Council on Exercise uh, because I thought, hey, I like this. This is really cool. And so I got actual certification uh, to be a fitness trainer. And from that point on, it's just been kind of snowballing. That's awesome. It's funny, but in 2016, I did a, my first amateur Thai boxing fight. Did you really? Yeah, I, I turned 30 in 2016. <laughs> so it, because it was on my bucket list. So I said, keeping in mind all through my 20s, just really poor lifestyle choices and mm -hmm. drinking, smoking, and not sleeping well, eating horribly. So I said, I said to myself, I'm going to go vegan because I thought that's the healthiest diet at the time. So I'm going to, because I was influenced by some friends mm -hmm. and uh, I said, I'll go vegan and I'm going to go back to the Thai boxing training and I'm going to do a fight this year. So I went into the closest gym I could find, which was literally a walk, like maybe a 10, 15 minute walk from where I was living. I went in, it was a Saturday. I remember it was, I think the 10th of January and I went in and I said to the coach, I want to do a fight. He just looked at me real weird. And <laughs> we went into the sessions were two hours long and we went in and he introduced me, Christians new to all the guys there. He wants to do a fight. And he looked at one guy. Uh, it was a big guy uh, from Lithuania. And we were doing a circuit where you hold, I, I was just holding pads for the dude. Uh, and he was just training right kicks, left kicks. And <clears throat> so that was like three minutes of, of him kicking me. And you know, when you're, you're not tough yet, you haven't mm -hmm. toughened up your forearms and everything. I was purple the next day. Oh, here. Yeah. But I, dude, I survived that session, including hard sparring because some of the guys were training for fights. They were just coming up like two, three weeks out. And it was hard sparring season at the time. And I absolutely got battered, but that was a Saturday. I went in on Monday and then on Wednesday and I kept going three times a week and then up to six, six to eight times a week coming up to the fight. But um, I think after he saw me come back two days after, he was like, wow, okay. This guy is not a complete <laughs> retard, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I love I love combat sports, love Thai boxing. And, um, you know, it's such it's, – it's such an awesome way to get fitter because – it's so much fun just kicking and, and doing some light sparring and learning technique. It's it, it's hard in the beginning, but once you actually get a bit more proficient, it's so much fun just messing around with your buddies in the gym and who can outsmart who because you know your you know your um your sparring style. So you're trying to constantly throw in new new techniques, and you love it when someone new comes in, so you can be taken out of your comfort zone a little bit would you uh, are you still practicing that or are you using more uh, traditional resistance training no i don't do the um the combat stuff really anymore i mean every now and again because i just don't have normal access to it anymore so i mean every now and again i might kind of do what would be like cardio kickboxing on my own like there's no bag there's no gloves it's just kind of like you just um as 
acting as if you are sparring or fighting. So I'll just be doing some punches or kicks and stuff like that. Uh, and just doing like, um, parries and maneuvers and, and whatever else, you know, just kind of shadow really boxing. Ran- yeah. Right. Yeah. Shadow boxing, just really randomly stuff like that. Just right. to kind of, because I just kind of feel like doing it, but yeah, the, the, the beauty of what I was working at with Farrell's is like, I didn't have to, I could just play it all, all up for fun. You know, when you're training for a fight, it, it's gotta be all business because, you know, you're going to face an actual, an actual opponent who will actually hurt you yeah, <laughs> if yeah. you're not really all that trained. Oh yeah. But, but this, this was just purely fun, yeah, you know, yeah. and I could, I didn't have to worry about anyone actually really getting hurt, say for like maybe a jammed wrist or something like mm. that. But, but no, I don't do it as much as I used to. Like most other things in my life, it kind of just gave way to other interests. Yeah. 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 Dude. I mean, I, I, it's unbelievable in a few months how tough you, you can actually get. I remember there's one dude, he was Latvian, he was very tall, ripped. He was ripped off, uh, you know, out of a fight and just coming up to a fight, he would just get ridiculous. But um, <clears throat> he was like extremely limber and his high kicks were, I think he'd done like 24 5 um, pro fights, you know including mm-hmm. most of the A class with elbows and knees and everything. So he would just, at coming up to the fight, I could take two minutes of him just high kicking me with me, with my guard up. He just kicked me and I would, you know, be fine. Would move on to the next partner. Because obviously sparring against a guy like that, if you try to punch him, it's a bad idea because he's so much faster than you. Like some of these guys, right. they're so fast, you can't even believe. But, um, yeah, dude, I really, I, I kind of miss it, but I also, it makes me think how much ego and uh, bravado we have in our younger years that is just, you can even call it plain stupidity because uh, having been through that and then learning about the the trauma that any sort of damage, any sort of hit to the head does, so for your long-term health of your brain and, and your nervous system, I would never do that again, bro. Even though I do one, I, I wish I could do another fight and prepare even better for it. I'd never let my, my I, I won't do it. And I would ne- never let my kids actually go and do fighting sports. They can do combat training, but mm-hmm. getting hit in the head, bro, I don't think I would allow that. Right. You know, the funny thing about it is, is like you mentioned uh, cognitive health and what combat sports can do to you. They have found like when they're working with Parkinson's patients, like doing boxing workouts, not actual boxing, like they're not going to fight anybody, but doing boxing workouts helps a lot with their coordination and their motor skills as they're working with um, Parkinson's disease and, and other cognitive cognitive maladies, um, which is, you know, you think about Muhammad Ali, you know, towards the, well, really like the middle and end of, towards the middle and end of his life, I mean, he got afflicted with Parkinson's at what thirty eight, something it? like that. Wow. He, he started well. He started showing symptoms and like in the early eighties and things like that. He wasn't even, not even yet forty years old. He started showing symptoms, like he started having a, a, a slight hand tremor and stuff like that, and he just got worse as time went on. But the the ironic thing about it is, is like, and he gave up fighting and training eventually because of that. And I, honestly, if you look at some of those later uh, those fights in his later in his career. Like in, you know, 
80, 81 and stuff like that. And he, he's, um, he's fighting these younger guys. Like they're just terrible because he's, he's basically just a big punching bag at that point because he's so deteriorated. Like mm. there was a fight with Larry Holmes. He did that fight was, was completely one-sided. It should never have happened. Holmes just wasted him. And because he was in no condition to actually fight, I guess, you know, sometimes for financial reasons, fighters will put themselves back into fights to make some money. Yes. Even if they're well past their prime, like Sugar Ray Robinson had to do that because he was broke. But yeah, it was just, it was, if you look at some of those fights, it's just terrible. It's, 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 it's a slaughter, but ironically, if he had kept training, his Parkinson's maybe would not have been so bad or wouldn't have progressed as quickly as it did to the point where he was just debilitated. He couldn't even speak anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the thing is <clears throat> athletes. So we have a kind of a big problem in our society right now. We really revere athletes, but, and they are amazing what, what they accomplish, but many athletes really the way they accomplish these things is through doing a lot of damage to their body and often mm -hmm. many athletes i'm not talking about guys like you know cristiano ronaldo or whatever right. or conor mcgregor those guys have everything down pat including nutrition supplementation recovery but you know just kind of more middle middle range um you know soccer players whatever else uh, a lot of these guys you know they'll they don't have they don't have everything dialed in, so they might have a horrendous diet, and they're they're kind of coasting on youth, on you know maybe genetic, uh, really amazing genetics, and they're actually doing a lot of damage to their body. So we really kind of are teaching the layperson that you know you have to do these grueling workouts in order to to get in shape and stuff like that but what at least what i found with my clients and now maybe i'm a bit biased because many you know a great proportion of the people coming to me have genuine serious health problems so i am always advising them go for a walk do some you know calisthenics and that's all you need right now and as you get stronger and healthier then you can start incorporating more you know, the occasional jog or like bike riding, rowing, et cetera, whatever else. So I guess my, my, um, where I'm going at, or maybe you can kind of, uh, give us your point of view is how, how much exercise does a person in their forties actually really need? Well, first I'll address what you first said. You're right. Um, we do tend to take what we see like, uh, professional athletes like uh, Ronaldo and um, Conor McGregor or Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. And we tend to take these, these very elite individuals and we try to transplant what they do onto the actual everyday layperson. And thanks to social media, especially Instagram, stuff like that, there is no shortage of people out there who are trying to tell us exactly that. Like Michael Jordan does this, Conor McGregor does that. And so this is what a winner does. And so this you is what, be a winner. you want to be a winner, right? This, <laughs> this is what, this is what you need to do. And really like that is completely inappropriate for 95% of people who are walking around. 
like you said, Ronaldo and Conor McGregor and, and really any elite professional athlete, Tom Brady, they have everything dialed in. They have teams of people around them to keep them in tip-top shape because their livelihoods depend on it. Right, so they have nutrition down. Why? Because they have a, they have a chef. Yeah. They, okay, they have people working for. They have a chef. They have a personal trainer. They have massage physio, therapists, yeah. physio, a physiotherapist. They have, you know, you know, a spiritual guide. They have they shaman. A shaman. Yeah. They have. <laughs> they have. They have everything. Every resource they could possibly need to keep them on on the very cutting edge of everything that you can possibly imagine. Now, I want to make this clear. That's, these are not luxuries to them. These are requirements. Their bodies are literally worth millions, potentially billions of dollars. And their, their very life depends on them being in this condition. But yours does not. So, uh, training like Conor McGregor, probably not the way you should probably go. So if you're like, and it's hard to really generalize because everyone is a little bit different, but if you're 40 and plus, yeah, you want some intensity to your workouts. And I do bring intensity to my clients and to myself, but you can apply intensity in sporadic uh, doses throughout the course of a week and every workout doesn't have to be a beat down or a survival session and you can intersperse it with some lighter intensity uh, workouts like say just going for a walk like I, I do that myself I mean I go for uh, and I just started this recently I just go for easy walks in the morning you know it's nothing intense um, but it's not meant to be and over time it'll build up but you know, if you just kind of apply the standard, like do something intense, maybe twice or three times a week for a moderate amount of time or even a short period of time. What, what's, if you're a doing moderate, it right. what's a moderate amount of time? A moderate amount of time is maybe like 30 minutes. Yeah. So keep it short, keep it intense, keep it sweet and just kind of uh, balance that with a very low impact workout like maybe calisthenics or yoga or walk out or walks outside you know if the temperature and the climate is appropriate and you can really over time you won't see dramatic results from this immediately but over time you will see the end product of your efforts and it's just about consistency over like anything that's really uh intense so if I guess at the end of the day here, consistency and doing something on a regular basis will take you uh, exactly where you need to go. You don't have to apply, you know, a professional athlete's workout regimen to your life. And I should also say you probably can't because yeah. they have, again, it's their life. And you probably have a job you have to go to. You've got kids you've got to raise. You've got you know, other resp everyday responsibilities. It's not feasible to tell an average person to spend two hours a day in a gym, not feasible and not desirable. Yeah. So, and I guess I, I'm also talking to all the people who might be listening, who train people themselves here, like, you know, taking a 40 year old mom with three kids and saying, you know, 
being a being in the gym lifting weights an hour a day it's not going to work for her and she's probably going to laugh you out the door as she should <laughs> because you are just not being realistic with her in terms of the kind of life that she lives yeah i think um it's very easy when you're young when you're say 25 30 and you you're been gymming it hard mm-hmm. for like 10 years you were always fit you know maybe you're a mesomorph and now every you're a hammer and everybody coming to you is a nail but some people are, are not a nail some people were a mm-hmm. you know a toothpick that will snap <laughs> under pressure very quickly so you right. really have to I, i think it comes with experience making mistakes along the way is kind of inevitable but it comes with experience it's like me like some people I just don't I don't give them too much too fast but if someone type A comes I I'll tell them oh here here's all the supplements here's 10 supplements here's we're going to tweak the diet this way so you have to really know the person do they need a little bit and for someone you know someone that's fairly sedentary and detrained I think for example my chiropractor he just uh, he he tells his more you know clients with a lot of say pain or um um you know whatever health issues he tells them you can do 200 push-ups today and they're like what you crazy no you just do it against the wall you can do push-ups against the wall and then once you once you're happy with that you can do a bunch of those then you can just change the angle slightly and then you can do push-ups on your knees and i think you can with most people that are de- de- either detrained or sedentary you can have a very you need very little stimulus in order to initiate be it strength increase muscle growth or some type of shift in the metabolism that will be beneficial for the person and anything let's say let's say it's we're talking about strength you know you need a few sets a week to maybe Uh, if someone is detrained if you get them to do two pull-ups today if they can even do one whole pull-up if you do two pull-ups today and then two pull-ups five days later and you keep repeating that you will gain strength but if you do you can probably do 10 today or 20 but you're going to be in a lot of pain or there'll be a lot of damage neuromuscular damage and 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 just uh, plain old muscular damage so you're kind of there's a lot of diminishing returns there so i think if we can if we can get to the stage where figure out how much the person needs let them have that much maybe a little bit more but not much more they're much more likely to stay with it because there's no doms no pain uh no no desire to skip workouts because it was grueling or painful you know the last time and stuff like that and i think the the more experience you get with working with people the the easier it is to gauge what where somebody is and where to meet them at i think right and you know on the on that on that point you made about uh, muscle damage and recovery like what we don't stress enough either you know at all is recovery is the amount of recovery that you do actually need and to actually be more kind of in tuned and more kind of in tuned and uh, have a firmer understanding of your own body and how it actually does recover. So, you know, going back to the point that you made about intensity, intensity, like I said, it, 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 it's needed. You should, you should incorporate some intense intensity to your workout, especially if you want to get stronger. 
if you want to get stronger, you got to make things harder. That's just how you get stronger. You know, it's just you have to apply a impossible amount of force on yourself. That is, or I should say, you should apply a force on yourself that is impossible, but only mom momentarily impossible. I like that. So, so it's worthwhile if you want to get stronger, if you actually do want to see muscle development, you want some bigger muscles, you want some more definition and things like that, which, you know, definition really comes down to diet more than anything. Mm -hmm. But that's worth it. That's worthwhile as, as well, because, you know, it's worth it to get stronger because the older you get, the more things are going to atrophy. You know, you know, you, you know, we learned that, you know, all things in the universe tend towards atrophy. Well, that also includes your body. Oh, yeah. So if you are not strengthening, especially as you, as you get older and we're finding now that people as little or as early as in their thirties are getting frailer are getting diagnosed with osteoporosis and osteopenia and also sarcopenia and that, you know, your, your muscle will, you will lose lean muscle mass, uh, dramatically starting at age 40, you know, something like, uh, what was it like? It's like 1% a year starting at 40. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's a lot. So by every decade it goes by, you've lost 10% of your lean muscle mass. And your androgenic hormones are going to be decreasing right. steadily. Right. So, I mean, that's, that sounds like a doomsday scenario, but it doesn't have to be. And, um, so it's, it's really worth it to do things with the intention of actually getting stronger, but you also have to prioritize your rate of recovery as, especially as you get older, but even in general, like here's a perfect example. Like two weeks ago, I did some killer lower body workout and I meant it to be that way. I meant to do damage. Like I was just, <laughs> I had minimal rest time. I was doing, I was lifting heavy. I was just going, I had, you know, minimal sets, lots of reps or at least reps to failure going from one to the other. I meant to do some damage and I did. Yeah, you know, I did this on a Thursday and it took me to this, the next Friday before I felt normal again in terms of my lower body. Like my body, my legs did not feel tense at all, but that yeah. was a long week. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't do lower body at all until I got to that point. Okay, things are starting to feel good again. I don't, you know, feel stiff as a board every time I sit in a chair. You know, <laughs> every time I get back up to walk, I feel like my legs are too solid logs or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I gave myself the time I need to recover. And that is just being aware of your body. And that is something that really it comes with time, at least in my case. Like and maybe it's something you don't really appreciate until you're actually there. Because you can you know about recovery, but I think a lot of people get recovery wrong. Like they go into it too early. It's like, oh, I start to feel somewhat normal again. I can hit it again. Yeah. And then it's, you know, one, it doesn't work out either at all, or it feels like a crap workout. It's like, oh, well, God, I didn't get anything out of that. Because you don't prioritize recovery, and recovery is not being lazy. And I think a lot of people get that impression, especially again, thanks to social media. It's like, you know, you know, people yelling at your face, telling you what a lazy bitch you are because you're taking, yeah. because you're, you know, 
you're not at it six days a week. <laughs> dude, it's this hustle culture, dude. And mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad I got out of it. I think it took me getting out of the bigger city and coming to the south of Portugal and live to live in a village that really kind of made me appreciate the value of taking life more slowly. It's just this hustle culture. It's it's like that in, in work, business, at home. You always have to be productive. You always have to be doing stuff. If otherwise you're unproductive, you're 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 um a burden on society if you're just at home foam rolling or Well I think well I think uh, I think the hustle is I think the hustle is a good thing for the most part. But being hu- hustling does not mean you're always constantly moving. You know, people, neg- people mistakenly associate constant movement with production. Not really true at all. I mean, you could jump up and down in place. You're moving, but you ain't going nowhere. So hustling, you know, if you're going to hustle, it means you're constantly, you got the next move in front of your mind, right? So it's like, right. okay, you're doing, you're doing this today, but then tomorrow or next week, you're doing this. You got I me, mean, you got a plan in mind here. Okay. So you I know, like the way you frame it. Yeah. Yeah. So you mean you're still moving, you're still moving in that sense. It means you're moving towards a, a progression, a, a progressive goal. here. You've got a You've got a place in mind that you work, you want to go, and just because you're not constantly racing to, towards it in an aimless sort of way doesn't mean that you are being lazy, okay? But you're taking calculated moves towards that end goal here. So, like I said with recovery here, like I knew that I couldn't do another leg workout because I still just don't feel 100. percent You know, you know just kind of plowing through the pain and the discomfort is going to backfire, Yeah, yeah. you know? And as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate that more. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. I still, you know, did other things at home like stretches or calisthenics, or I did walks or stuff like that. I kept going. I just didn't keep going hard. And that's the thing about intensity. People get intensity wrong. You know, intensity is just that it's an intense it's an intense uh, application of energy here and you can't keep that up for a long time. So when you do do it, make sure that you are ready to do it at a hundred percent. And then when it's over, let the energy reserves uh, come back, let them restock. All right. And then do it again. And only, but only when it's ready to, you know, it's like, it's like, I don't know, your phone's at 30%. You say, oh, okay, that's good enough. Okay, I'm going to use it to, I don't know, play games, call a bunch of people. For an hour. (laughs) Right? I'm going to to use it to just take it off the charger and just use it, you know, for an hour, which people do. But, you know, so at at 30%, your battery is going to go right back down to zero in really no time at all because you didn't give it the time it needs to actually be back at full capacity. Yeah. It's the same with your body. You only have so much bandwidth to work with. So... You need to be uh, conscious and aware of how you're applying it and how much you are applying it. You know, if you if you ever read anything by Mike Metzer, the bodybuilder, you know, he was very firm on this. You know, because he was all about short, intense workouts, sporadically done, not the six days a week stuff that Arnold was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very clear on that. You know, and he said that you know you can either you can either go hard 
or you can go for long periods of time, but you can't do both. Yeah. 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 Totally agree. So what, what I actually, I found myself doing more is if I'm out with my kid and the dog and she's just like doing her thing, exploring, sometimes I'll do like jumping squats or I'll, I'll do box jumps uh, on kind of areas where it's conducive to that. Or if there's some stairs kind of near near our apartment complex here, I'll run up the stairs, do some like sprint up the stairs, maybe four or five times. And uh, just kind of, or, or just somewhere I'll stop and I'll do like 30 squats and then do another 30 squats, just bodyweight squats. So this is kind of what I find. And I, like, like yourself, I, I go for walks in the morning with my dog. And depending on how I feel that day, it's kind of like a hilly up and down walk. So um, sometimes the, the hill, just, just a slight incline, really allows you to manipulate the intensity very easily. So you can actually walk very slowly up, up, a, up a kind of like, a, let's say, 30% incline, 30 degree incline. <clears throat> and it will not feel like your heart rate or your body are working very hard. So your heart rate is kind of stable. But even... And I, I kind of monitor my pulse by, you know, touching my carotid artery on the neck. So just walking faster, just deciding I'm going to walk as fast as I can, but not run or jog. Just walking up a hill, can it's a very easy way to increase the intensity. And you could actually do it on a, on a flat surface. You can walk, do your walks. Once you feel comfortable walking for an hour or half an hour or more, uh, you can just walk faster. Uh, but the hill, like walking up a hill is such a low intensity way to increase your heart rate without having to jog, without necessarily putting pressure on your joints, especially if you have some extra weight hanging around or you're, you 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 may have had a poor diet and lifestyle that is, you know, taking you towards the direction of osteoporosis or osteoarthritis and you want to avoid those things. But some days, like I think it was today, yeah, today, yeah this morning, I just like sprinted up up the hill like a 30 degree incline I did like maybe 3 sprints over the course of like a 50 minute walk and it just felt right today but then tomorrow it might just feel like I want to walk for 30 minutes and then go home it really you it, it, like you said you know dude like when we're 25 30 we especially guys maybe women are different we don't feel these things you're not tuning into your body at, the, at least i wasn't tuning into my body i was like dude sometimes we'd wake up hungover or still drunk from the night before and you'd go training for two hours and then you'd go drinking again that's how dumb we are when we were when we were you know younger but now you're like oh dude if if i push myself today i can do it but then that's going to wreck me tomorrow. I won't mm. get a workout in tomorrow. And then the day after that, it, it will still not be optimal. So why don't I be an adult and pace myself today? Right. And then I can always up it again tomorrow if if needs be. Right. I think, you know, as guys, as we get older, like a lot of us still are, you know, kind of uh, filled with a piss and vinegar and still want to do a lot of like really crazy shit, like you were saying. Yeah. But I think the advantage that we get when we get older is that we learn how to balance testosterone with good common sense. And you don't really have that so much when you're 21 years old because you're just filled to the brim um, with a lot of energy and a lot and a lot of, you know, 
your 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 youth and you just don't consider things as much as you maybe should and at that age you can get away with it but once you cross over into 40 you can't really get away with it so much and so it's uh yeah it's 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 a journey you know i can't i can't speak for women because i don't know uh i don't know what it's like to be a woman and be uh an avid fitness enthusiast I, I think I have noticed like through my own um, observations and particularly working with women, like they are probably naturally more cautious, mm-hmm. you know, and are, you know, more readily, ava- more readily um, eager to actually just follow advice. Yeah. And when, yeah. It, when it's given, when it's given. Yeah. Yeah. Big time, dude. Big time. And, as opposed to, you know, I know man. how to do it. Right. I, I know how to do it. Right, right. And yeah. right. It becomes an alpha contest. Mm-hmm. So and that's a very general that's a very general uh statement there. And I realize that uh, I've met some very gung-ho women too. Um so you know, but I think on the whole, I think that statement does actually apply. But yeah, yeah. it's one thing I can definitely say for getting older is like I've definitely learned how to actually balance my natural urges to just be an absolute, you know, go out there and be an absolute dickhead about things and, you know, come back next day saying, you know what? No, today is going to be just a very even keel kind of day. So (laughs) it it goes in waves, you know, I have those days like you feel like you just conquer the world. And then the next day is like, oof, that was rough. It's time to it's time to actually uh, uh, pump the brakes a little bit and let things reset. Yeah, absolutely, bro. It's a part of growing up, man. I really it honestly is. believe the the reason. Honestly, this is getting more into esoteric stuff, uh, but um, I honestly believe the reason, especially men, the reason we only become quote unquote adults maybe around the age of thirty, thirty five, is because we we're meant to live longer. We, we're not meant to like die when we're 60, 70 or now, even now 80 in the last hundred years or so. I honestly believe with the right diet in a clean environment with daily, you know, nutrition that meets all of our needs with minimizing stress. I honestly believe humans can live with our current genetics and, and, and coming from a healthy mom and a healthy pregnancy. I honestly think humans can live couple hundred years man easy easy well that's interesting you say that because i've had several guests on on my my own podcast and we've talked a lot about longevity and yeah i don't know about a couple hundred years but definitely um 100 years and then some is for sure doable i think in this day and age and who knows as the life expense life expectancy of people continues to increase you know, as time goes on, you know, by the time that we're 70 something years, 70, 80 years old, who knows how long people will actually be expected to live. You know, 70 years old might be considered pretty low at that point. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of talk about uh, longevity and how longevity actually works here. And uh, one of the things that I do appreciate, uh, especially from people like um, Peter Atita, Mm-hmm. And things like that. When he talks about longevity, and I really liked how he framed this too. It's like, you know, people think that when we talk about longevity, we're talking about living forever. That's not the idea at all. 
living forever is not a realistic proposition. I don't think it's even a desirable proposition, yeah, honestly, yeah. from my point of view. What we're talking about here is that when we study people who are centurions and super centurions, like people who are 110 plus, it's not that they're not getting older or they're not becoming frailer or they're the same as they were when they were 19. That's not the case at all. It's just that when, unlike most of us that start to really start going downhill, 70s and 80s, and then we eventually expire around early 80s, early to mid 80s and things like that. These folks are not meeting that end until much later, until like late 90s, 100s and stuff like that. They're not showing any real appreciable signs of deterioration until they are way up there in years. And when their demise does come, it doesn't come slowly. It comes pretty rapidly. Like they just, they kind of hit a wall and then boom, they're gone. You know, unlike most of us, like, like a lot of people, when they start, they start showing signs of significant decline in their 60s, oh, sometimes yeah. early, sometimes well, early. Now it's many, even earlier. Ma- yeah. Many times earlier. Yeah. And, right. And so by the time they hit 70, 75, like they are on their last leg and the, the end is just around the corner. But these folks somehow managed to sail right past that, that point and getting way up there in years before that even becomes an issue at all. Um, So the actual science of longevity is not studying how to live forever. We're not talking about a fountain of constant youth here. We're talking about understanding what it takes actually, what it takes to actually get to a point where you're not actually showing signs of any real physical or cognitive decline until you are at a very advanced stage of life. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's not yeah. talking about being the same as you always were, like you never changed. Oh, you will always, you will always grow older. And you, if you're right. the same, it's like they say, if you're the same, let's say in your forties, <clears throat> when you, as you, when you were 18, then what the hell were you even doing with your time? You haven't exactly right. developed yourself much, you know, if you have the same ideas, if you believe the same things, it's, I remember someone in my family was like, Oh, now what's what's the latest thing you're into now? Because I, I, at one point I was plant-based and I thought that was, you know, the holy grail. And then I was keto. I thought or low carb, that was the holy grail. So they're like, oh, you're constantly like changing your uh, diet and stuff. You don't know what's going on. I'm like, no, it's called, it's called learning new things and developing. It's like, it's like, right, it's, like right. it's as if you, you figure out the perfect diet when you're like 20 and that's the diet you will be until the day you die. I, I, I think that's a little bit narrow-minded, and I, I'm definitely not right. like that. Right, and I'm the same way too. Like, like I explained to you earlier, I have gone from one thing to another in my life. I've gone from, you know, as a kid playing sports, all kinds of sports, and, you know, being kind of eh about all of them. You know, they were fun, but I didn't get hugely into them. Uh, as an adult, I went from, like, just – you know, intense walks to runs to biking to kickboxing to martial arts to weight training to you know ex- now exploring more and more in depth the science of longevity mm-hmm. and how I can actually apply that to my own life and you know various ways of eating too. I was a vegan for a very long time. How long? And then four or five years. Wow. And I was diligent about it. Like, and you know, seriously, I was like. I, one day I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I did. 
and I didn't stray from it. I was I was on code with it, one day to another. You know, but I was now same you quit. Thing. You so you but, were never but, really uh, vegan. <laughs> that's the, that's the running joke, you know. If you quit, well, yeah. you're never really vegan. Well, okay. Well, if that's the if that's the position you want to take on it, you know, <laughs> what whatever, man. But yeah, yeah. Um, but then I learned more, more, and more about needing to retain sarc muscle mass as you get older. I learned more about sarcopenia. I learned about you know how it can affect you and how it will affect you if you don't stay on top of your strength as you're getting older and just this year I crossed over to 40 years old so that's a real that's a reality to me now it's not theoretical I'm there you know and we just spoke about earlier like uh, most people expire around their 80s mm -hmm. so when you're 40 years old you're yeah, at midlife that's serious stuff yeah it's yeah. it's it's you know we used to think when we were kids and we were 20 years old midlife is being 50 years old no it's actually being 40 and yeah and so it, the, the game is real yeah and it's right in front of you and you need to take this seriously so i decided like and it's not like it's impossible to be to keep up on your muscle when you're a vegan it's not impossible some people can do it so that's the simple answer to it. Do you actually need meat to be to to build muscle and to stay strong? The most simplistic answer, absent any real context or nuance, is no. You can do it on plants. Yeah. But here's the caveat: it's twice as hard to do on plants as it is to do on animal products. Oh yeah. And and I see a lot of people kind of you know they're taking even if we're just talking about you know veganism. And we're talking other ways of eating like carnivore and keto and things like that. Like they're taking, if they're, if they're moving away from veganism, if they're not going towards veganism, they're going towards another extreme, which is yeah, carnivore. Yeah. And again, you know, like being fully carnivore, it sounds appealing in some ways, especially if you like meat. But again, it doesn't really make a lot of sense if you understand uh, how early humans it's all it's always being based on what early humans did you know paleo diets or stuff like that it's like well this is what our human ancestors ate so this is the optimal way yeah. to eat and so they take these um very uh superficial understandings and they go in extreme directions with it veganism or carnivore or whatever i highly else. doubt our ancestors had access to daily ribeyes and butter right yeah exactly exactly that's right. what a lot of carnivores are eating uh, right. muscle meat which was the least valued food. So if you're going to be carnivore, you should be eating a very balanced thing, you know, like a heart, organs, skin, just really the the gristle, the joints. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, it should, coupled with that, if you're actually doing it like our ancestors, you should be eating very seasonally and probably fasting a lot. But fasting, just because they had to do it, does not mean it's an optimal process to engage in. Right. And, you know, I kind of, I do a little bit of fasting myself and I've done it more so when I was younger. I've done three day long fasts. And would I say that's desirable or appropriately applicable to most people? Probably not. Um, there's a lot of things you should consider before you're doing something, like, especially if you're hypoglycemic. I oh, would yeah. not rec I would never recommend that. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I did it 
because I wanted to, and I was curious to see if I could actually do it. And I did actually do it. It was hard at some point. There were times when my hunger pains were really starting to constantly make me question if I want to keep doing this, but I fought through it. And at the end of the, at the end of it, I was like, I felt pretty proud of myself and I didn't feel as bad as I would thought. I mean, I did, there were points I felt kind of nauseous and sick and, you know, but then, you know, it, and it wasn't a dry fast. I drank water. I had black coffee, which has next to no calories in it at all. It does not enough to really rev your metabolism. Sure, sure. But I did it and it was a curious experiment and I was pretty happy with myself here. Now, you can, there's all kinds of fasting you can do that you could incorporate to your everyday life, like just pushing back your breakfast or not having a breakfast. So you start eating at maybe noon and not nine or eight o'clock in the morning and stuff like that. And that would work pretty well for you. And it's very easy to follow because fasting is very binary. You know, you either are doing it or you're not doing it. You're either metabolizing calories or you're not. It's very simple and it's very straightforward. There's not much wiggle room. So you can do that, and I do do that in my own way. I do kind of uh, drag out my eating until much later into the day, mm-hmm. and that works out just fine for me. Is that going to work for you? I don't know. You need to try it out for yourself. But having this constant sense of curiosity and being able to ex- wanting to experiment with different things here, like you've done, like I've done, that is what keeps us uh, driving forward here too. And it, sometimes it's going to require you to find what actually works for you and what does not work for you. And you're going to have to blow up the beakers quite a few times before you hit something that actually does work. But always be in that curious frame of mind and saying, well, you know, this could actually, this could actually work. Try it out. If it doesn't work, well, now you know it didn't work. So, and uh, going back to the earlier point about eating and veganism versus carnivore, we have a lot of evidence to say that early humans, if we're talking about early humans as as a context for our conversation here about eating, early humans were opportunistic eaters. Oh, like scavengers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did they eat animal proteins? Of course they did. But they also ate berries. Carrion. Carrion, roots vegetables, um, all these things, you know, you know, a lot of things that don't run away from you very easily, (laughs) you know, things you don't have to spend a lot of energy hunting. And sometimes like the games weren't very, uh, convenient. And if you could find it and you could kill it, great. You got yourselves a harvest there, but it wasn't always like that too. And so I think, I, th- I think just to keep things simple here, if we're talking about an optimal, quote unquote, optimal diet um, in terms of eating, you want to have it maybe as varied as you possibly can. Now, you obviously want to limit things like processed sugar and, you know, and things that come out that are overly processed. Sure. Anything like that. Obviously, you want to put real limits on that. But if it's like things like fruits versus vegetables versus meats and stuff like that, finding uh, or having healthy doses of that, as long as it's uh, within whatever uh, caloric requirements that you want to keep within, that's probably the best way to go just as a matter of keeping things very simple. So what you're saying is eat real food and don't eat too much. Right. You know, Eat yeah. real food, 
learn to know when your body has said, okay, I'm done. Don't eat anymore. Learn to recognize like, you know, cravings as they come around. And it's okay to engage a craving every now and again. I mean, I do eat a cookie. I do eat some pastries and things so like that. I have the that. occasional cigarette. Right. Well, kidding. well, just well, you know sure. that. Well, you know that that might be that might be one indulgence too far. No, <laughs> but I'm joking. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I quit over it's... three weeks ago. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I will also offer this too. I did also smoke when I was younger. No, so... I, yeah, I, I smoked for like 15 years. Well, well, wow! I didn't. I didn't even go that far. Since I, the I age of 15. I, well, I picked it up at 15 and I pretty much kicked it when I was 20. Nice. But yeah, so again, a foolish childhood decision, you yeah. know, because you're hanging around people, you you know, they're smoking. It's like, oh, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's not cool. You know, in the long run, it's a bad choice. But do you think about the future very much when you're 15? Probably not. So you say, what the hell? Yeah, let's, let's throw in some smokes. Yeah. But <laughs> the girls I, who think we're cool. <laughs> yeah right i never really found that to be the case but yeah. you know whatever i was yeah man too, but too, let too me ask determined. you sean yeah so uh, i'm actually I, I just started writing writing my next book um i guess a few couple of weeks ago i started getting really into the research and i've actually over the last this year i've changed my stance on a lot of things that uh, I used to think were good for health, including actually fasting, prolonged water fasting, even intermittent fasting, and but mo mo most especially uh, about low carb and keto diet. So, have you were you ever on the bandwagon? Did you try the low carb keto thing? What's your kind of take on that? No, I never really got into the the low carb keto thing. I know others have, and it's worked out pretty well for them. But I think really where the reason why I never did is because carbs appeal to me. You know, I've always liked carbs. So, you know, fruit and grains and stuff like that, even though I don't eat as many grains as I used to, but I still eat rice. I don't dig in bread as much as I used to. And I don't drink beer. Uh, and I don't drink alcohol at all. So I have shed a lot of carbs in that in that regard nice but no i never really i never really got onto the anti-carb bandwagon just because i think it doesn't really make a ton of sense i mean it makes some sense in some way especially if you're looking for some sort of quick fix hack that your body's mm. going to react to really in a kind of a very pronounced way immediately but in the long run like People talk about carb, eliminating carbs because uh, eliminating uh, the amount of um, excess sugars that your body produces from carbs, right? And like in blood glucose levels and things like that. That is okay. Um, but your body also does need sugar in order to operate. You have a glucose level. Exactly. Yeah, you have a glucose level. Your body <laughs> needs to convert certain things into sugars for you to operate. And your brain runs on glucose or ketones right. only, no fats, just ketones right. or glucose. Right. Your brain your brain operates on carbohydrates yeah. and on, on sugars and things like that. 
which is why I think a lot of times when people are on keto diets where they are they have so dramatically or eliminated carbs, they feel a lot of brain fog. I was just going to say that how many, I cannot tell you how many people I've spoken to this year that are like, I have brain fog. I'm also doing keto. Uh, can you help me, you know, optimize my diet and my life yeah. and my health? I'm like, well, there's, you're not at optimal. You're nowhere near even decent health if you have brain fog. So right. we're not optimizing here. We're getting you back to restoring your health, you know? Right, exactly. And that comes back to, you know, again, being aware of your body and how it normally feels versus how it is feeling now. And if you have, you know, permanent brain fog, if you, if you feel like you're in a daze all the time, you can't concentrate, then something's off. So you need to, and this is where it comes down, this is where it becomes important for you to keep records of what you're doing. Because you can trace this back to, well, when did I start feeling this way? Right around this time, I started to really reduce carbohydrates, <laughs> like dramatically, yeah. and just go strictly on proteins and fats. That's when I started feeling off. So maybe this is not making a whole lot of sense to me. Like, again, this comes with maturity. This comes with recognizing how your body works. And I'll say this also, too. This is a slower process for men. Because we are not very in tune with our bodies a lot of times here. Women have to be. Yeah. They have their, their monthly cycles, their menstrual periods. You know, their bodies um, react very or operate very differently from men. And even especially in postmenopausal years, still, it does. So right from the time they enter puberty, they have to, they have to be aware of their body. And so they're kind of hyper in tuned with it. Guy, you know, guys, not so much, you know, mainly because we just don't have to be, we're not for, we're not forced to be. And so it becomes a slower process. So around around this time when guys are our age and older, they start to actually get this, you mm -hmm. know, they know when things are starting to feel off because things are off, you know, and then again, like it, it's a, it's a, it's a learning curve. Yeah, bro. Actually, just when you said that, it reminds me. I remember I'd wake up in my 20s. I'd wake up hungover. I'd go to the store. This was in Ireland. I'd get some rolls of bread, like uh, white bread and um, may maybe mayonnaise and sausages, Irish sausages, bro, pork sausages. <laughs> Cook up like a literal pound of sausage and eat with two, two like raw Italian rolls. And I'd eat that and I wouldn't even feel my my stomach like being full or expanded. I wouldn't feel any of this stuff, bro. You know? And I think many maybe many men are like that. You don't feel what things are doing to your body. Like even skipping meals. Let's say you're working and it it's not always in a poor like poor health context, but um you know, you might be working at, like yesterday, I'll tell you, I had to do end of year company accounts. And I literally sat in this chair for three hours reconciling accounts. And I I think many men can do this. You can put your, and I was in pain. Like my, my hip flexors were sore. My back was tight. My eyes were sore. But I was like, I need to get this done because it's it, it must be done. It's a horrible job, but it needs to be done. Um, so a lot of men, you know, working or uh, whatever you will do things where 
you're doing damage to your body, but you're not realizing. Like skipping a meal, you skip a meal, your blood sugar falls, stress hormones go up. You're now running on like gluconeogenesis and cortisol and other stress hormones, and you are actually now in stress hormone mode. Uh, you don't realize that you need to refuel, so you continue like that. It could be like you could be like that for a few more hours, and then you you wonder. Or you 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 wonder why you're hangry, you're short with people, uh, you know you're in a sour mood, you're craving stuff, you're overeating, you're, or you're binge eating on some really crappy food because you took it too far. You didn't feel maybe three hours ago when my blood sugar's falling. I need to have a snack, maybe a piece of fruit or a whole meal. I need to stop what I'm doing and go and do that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just about. It's just about you knowing how your body your own again how your own body feels and uh recognizing when things are recognizing when things are off because the body will send signals to you and a lot of a lot of us you know men and women we ignore those signals because it's just not convenient at the time that we're receiving it and so you know if you're sitting at a desk for three hours, pour over something that's causing you a lot of stress, maybe it's maybe it's a good idea to take 30 minutes or so and just get up and walk away, and maybe have a snack if you if you if your um, blood glucose glucose levels are tanking, especially if you're hypoglycemic, and maybe fuel up with something like an apple or something like that, or just go for a walk, you know, just. Yeah. Learn how to learn how to better modulate your own systems here. Yeah, man, I, I really, I've also been looking into the longevity stuff, and it just seems like, unless we change habits, the sooner we change habits, the higher our chances of increasing our longevity, and not just our lifespan, but our health span. And unless we, as men, and I mean, as anybody that's you know at this at kind of our age, unless you start doing it now. It's a very slippery slope down here. I remember my grandparents in their kind of early to mid fifties, they were already getting on on hooked on the medications by the doctor. So it will start with the blood pressure maybe, or maybe the high cholesterol or the high blood sugar. And then the, once you get on that uh, merry-go-round of drug or, uh, or the game of whack-a-mole of symptoms with the conventional system out there, it's, it's just steady decline that is absolutely guaranteed and it's going to rob a lot of the joy out of, out of one's life, you know? So I think the sooner we kind of get the memo that we have to, we have to do, do stuff proactively as opposed to reactively as we've been right. taught, um, the better off right. we will be. I just want to say like modern meds are great. They have, they are part of why human health span and lifespan are, have increased and there's some things that you just have to be medicated for like there's some things that just don't really aren't mitigated very much through diet and exercise like we're all commanded by our genetics and or i should say not commanded but our genetics play a role in everything we do and everything we are so it, it you can only do in some cases you can only do so much to really kind of alter that under your own powers and, and, and when it's really needed, modern meds are great and they should, and they should be incorporated if it's needed. 
but much of what is going on with you in your life, you can control. So what you can control, do so. And what what turns out that you don't have so much power over, then if it comes down to medication, then so do it. You know, do what you have to. And yeah, that's just my one piece on yeah, modern yeah. meds. I agree, like the over-medicating and choosing, you know, pharmacological solutions over uh, just a healthy life sp- a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and it should be said that that's not going to replace it. You know, you yeah, can take all these pills you want. It's not going to, it's not going to keep you alive and well on its own. You have to have some skin in the game and do some things on your own. So if you are, if you're doing what you know you can, you're being honest with it and you're, and you still need the medications, that's fine. Yeah. There's no shame. There's no shame in that. But it, you can't you can't just rely on the meds themselves yeah oh yeah hell no hell no. we no. do have some good drugs that that is for mm-hmm. sure it's just the problem is a lot of the commonly used ones are very hard can be very harmful sean uh last couple of questions for you bro um what do you take any supplements i always love asking people what supplements they take if any no i don't take any supplements well i guess i well i i guess i i do have some like like protein uh, drinks and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. if that's a supplement, then I guess, yeah. yes, I do. Okay. It's a very over-the-counter, like, protein drinks. I use to kind of, like, fill in the gaps here a little between the meals just so I can keep, again, with the idea of skeletal lean muscle in mind here and staying strong. Uh, not just, you know, staying alive, but staying able, you know. <laughs> I do do that. But, no, I don't go heavy on uh, supplements really wow. at all. Right. I, I, I just, uh, I cannot, I don't know what, why, but I cannot imagine my life without taking quite a number of different supplements. I don't know. And and the thing is, like, I eat liver pretty much every second day. And, like, we eat, get organic goat's milk, full fat, and we eat very nutrient-dense. But for some reason, I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine my life without supplements. But you know that's why well, have, 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 have you ever tried to go off the supplements and just live off of what you normally eat oh i i can yeah sometimes i, w- I won't take them for a few days or whatever uh just mm. to prove to my wife that i'm not addicted to them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um it's yeah it's i guess i'm one of those kind of people I'm more of a i'm a i'm a very it has to be there has to be processes protocols i'm constantly experimenting on new hacks new biohacks new mm-hmm. interventions so I, I guess i'm i'm experimenting a lot i love to do that I, I, my body's uh, like this giant science experiment so maybe that that's probably the reason why i mean i have done supplements in the past i've, I've taken you know uh, creatine i've taken you know protein powders and like b, uh, b12 especially when i was a vegan i took a lot of b12 yeah. supplements because you don't get that because you're not, or you don't get that because you're not eating meats. Sure. What's it? Uh, omega-6 fatty oils, again, that you're not getting as a vegan because you're not eating fish and salmon, stuff like that. Mm. So I guess, especially now in, uh, in the days that I've gone off of veganism, um, I don't find there's a need for that much anymore because I'm now eating fish so I can get that organically. So again, it, it all comes down. It all comes down to the individual in question here. So, if the supplements 
are needed and they are actually proven through blood tests clinically that they are doing you some good. And I would say have at it here. Yeah, use your body as an experiment and just see what works. That's, again, if, if there's a central message to all this, is it's like be, a, be an adventurer in terms of your health and your and your abilities here. And you might surprise yourself here. Now you could really go broke pretty easily trying to follow all the supplement advice that you hear everywhere. And a lot of these magazines you read about, you know, these muscle magazines are touting supplements big time. And a lot of the research behind it is fairly questionable. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you have to look into who is actually saying it and who's taking the money. Who to sponsored say this. it? Yeah, yeah. Right. Who sponsored it too? So, yeah. but I would say in general, don't in general to anyone who's listening, don't you know blow your last buck trying to buy supplements. It's much more worthwhile and cost effective for you to actually buy some real food. Sure. And live off of that. Food is and the number if, one. Right, food is number one, and if you're still finding deficits, try a supplement. See if that actually uh, recovers it. But know where you're actually know where you are and where you're actually going, which means that you have to have like clinical tests to to show uh, what's actually happening. Yeah, and remember, if you need help with the, the testing and and advice on supplements and diet, your uncle Chris here offers health <laughs> consultations. So so book a book a free. Chris has got. Uncle Chris has got your back. I got your back. I know all the supplements. I've tried hundreds of them probably at this stage, and I, I'll help you out. Sh- Sean, where can folks connect with you on the internet, bro? Well, they can connect on the internet mainly through Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my go-to place these days. So Instagram, it's uh, Sean, the, Sean the Movement Specialist. That's the handle there. Okay, so that's, you know, if you really want to have some dialogue with me, that's where I... Uh, post stuff and that's where i repost stuff um that's the best place you can possibly find you can also email me too uh, email uh sean okay it's one n and sean sean one n dot carlton zero zero gmail.com so the instagram handle and the email is the best way you really want to talk to me so you 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 you, you do brick and mortar fitness stuff you don't do like online consultations coaching stuff like that i do a little bit of both so i do uh i will meet people online and i also meet them in person if that's accessible but you know at least initially starting out with probably virtually is the best way to get a hold of me too awesome Awesome. well sean this was fun brother thank you so much for joining us today man not a problem thanks for inviting me on here it's it's a nice change of pace to actually be the one uh, giving the answers rather than the one who's constantly asking the answers. Yeah. So, you know, this, this was actually a nice break. You know, I actually got, was able to just kind of like break free a little bit. Exactly. So. Exactly. It's nice to do both because there, there's a different release you get from either. Um, so I think it's, it's really awesome to do both, bro. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And again, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you.